This is Using the Whole Whale, a podcast that brings you stories of data and technology in the nonprofit world. My name is George Weiner, your host and the chief whaler of wholewhale.com. Thanks for joining us. I want you to think about the last time you volunteered. You know, were you planting a tree? Were you maybe at a soup kitchen? Were you mentoring, perhaps? Now think about how you found that volunteer opportunity. Maybe it jumps to mind, maybe not. Believe it or not, that interaction is incredibly hard to actually get somebody to get from that couch to the volunteer spot. And it's something that New York Cares spends a lot of time thinking about, analyzing, and improving. I'm excited today because we're talking with Gary Bagley, the executive director of New York Cares, and about their approach to dealing with some of the challenges and opportunities and ways that they can use and have used data to improve the way New Yorkers volunteer. So let's jump into it and find out how he does what he does. I'm here with Gary Bagley, the Executive Director of New York Cares. Uh, Gary, thanks for coming on. Tell us a bit about yourself. What gets you up in the morning? Uh, first, thanks for having me here, George. It's um, it's, it's a great topic, and, and we obviously think a lot of you and whole whale, so I'm glad to be here. Um, uh, being the Executive Director of New York Cares, uh, you know, as we say, we're the city's largest volunteer management organization, which um, I think sounds, you know, pretty businessy of us. We do uh, each year we uh, we fill 195,000 volunteer positions in the city, and that number has been going up steadily um, over the 10 years I've been honored to be here. Um, I think, you know, when you say what gets me up in the morning, um, I think the thing that's most exciting to me about volunteerism um, and then to work in an organization whose 100% focus is mobilizing volunteers uh, as well as we think it can be done uh, is that, you know, the, the folks who volunteer bring their best to us. We meet people when they want to give back uh, when their sort of their desires are at some of the most altruistic. So, um, no matter what the you know the business side may entail, and like any business, there's days that are frustrating and there are days that are not. But as I'm fond of saying, you know, a bad day at New York Cares would be called a very good day anywhere else. So um, that that's what has uh, gets me up in the morning, keeps me going. I would also say, and this, you know, I've been thinking a lot about this lately, is um, we've really tried to design New York Care so that there's a, uh, a an infrastructure, if you will, an organizational structure that empowers people to be creative and innovative. Um, and to do that, um, we have a lot of really talented program managers with a lot of great ideas about new programming, exciting programming that could be happening throughout the five boroughs. And we've tried to build a structure where they have very strong metrics. They know what they're aiming to achieve. And then, um, this is the old artist in me, um, we, we, we encourage freedom in the form, right? Once you know what the structure is, then go to town. And, um, you know, both so the mission and then the uh, the innovative approach and the, the sort of the ability to innovate that we've always worked 
to maintain here are, are both exciting. They're a great reason to get up in the morning. Yeah, so I guess you're having a good day or even a great day today, so I'm glad we caught you on one of those days. <laughs> Absolutely. You started talking uh, about some of those top-line metrics, and you're looking for the number of volunteers that you're connecting with great organizations in the city, the number of hours those volunteers provide. Can you tease out maybe some of the other metrics that you feel are the guiding rods of your work day-to-day? Sure. I, I think, you know, I was uh, thinking a bit about this before we spoke, and, you know, there there are metrics that we we have that are very much about, you know, as I always say, keeping the business running. We're, we're uh, always keeping our eye on how many volunteers are coming through the door, how many new volunteers that is. And for us, that's about 17,000 a year. So we can really sit and watch trends. When are they coming in? What, you know, what time of day? What location? We, we have locations throughout the five boroughs. Um, and then from there on, we're watching activation rates because volunteer engagement um, and motivating volunteers is core to the business. So we're looking and saying, what percentage of people who come to orientation go on and do a project? How many of those people do one project, three projects, five projects? How many stay with us beyond a year? And so some of that is about driving impact Right. They, it, in many regards, you're counting outputs, like how many, how many, how many. But um, the deeper information under there is also, the, in, in my view, the customer service info. Have we inspired you to take action? Are you taking action? Was the first experience one that makes you want to take action again? You know, has New York Cares done absolutely everything to maximize um, the experience of getting to know you? The other thing that we do is then on the program delivery side, we are, you know, every every uh, program manager here has very specific goals for how many programs that will engage, you know, a certain number of volunteers they will manage over the course of a year. <clears throat> Excuse me. And then after um, they they sort of take care of that, you know, what I would call basic output information. Um, we're also, by the way, monthly tracking, you know, uh, what is our fullness rate? I often joke that we're in the hotel business. You know, we overbook yeah, projects. What, what, like is a, what is a fullness rate for, for those of us at home? A, a fullness rate is, for instance, if a program requires 10 volunteers in, in our mind uh, to be optimal, um, then the percentage of 10 that actually show up on the day. So we actually aim for a fullness rate of 90% plus overall on all our programs. Now, certain kinds of programs, and I think you know the average person could probably figure this out, certain kinds of programs almost have waiting lists of volunteers, things like meal service, right? A lot of people think of that when they go to volunteer, and those, those programs run at 100% fullness. When you get around more client-based service, more direct service, education work, um, then we can, depending on the program area, be running at 80%. And so we're watching those metrics to say, you know, uh, one of the things we're always trying to balance here is where volunteers want to go and where they're really needed. Right. Oh, and, uh, <laughs> and the two do not always align. Oh, <laughs> right. Boy. Yeah. yeah. And, well, and so by tracking uh, that fullness number, we can look and say, well, where do we need to put more work? And then this starts to interact with our website presence as we 
push out uh, programs through the website as we work to develop uh, more ways that people can search to find the projects that we are, you know, sort of most eager uh, and passionate about them finding. Yeah, I am wildly fascinated by all of these things. I mean, you've got a perfect funnel here of people that find you at first, go to an orientation, find their first project, and then continue, and you look at the abandonment rates. You've got leading indicators saying if there's not enough people being trained, we're going to have a problem in two months. Uh, it's fantastic. Um, I'm picking up, though, a little bit of this, what people want to do versus what is needed to be done. So. I would like to ask you, are all volunteer opportunities created equally in your eyes? Wow, that is a great question. You know, I I think one of the ways we've begun really thinking about our work um, is because first we, we offer program, 14 program areas that have multiple offerings in each, you know. Um, so how do we, with a multi-service platform, decide how to balance that portfolio of programming and then how do we uh, from that decide how we're going to allocate resources. So uh, the short answer is no. All programs are not created equal. There are a few ways in which that's true. If we take our three big areas of programming, um, about 10% of our work is work in public spaces, parks, gardens, revitalizing schools, etc. The second bucket is 30% of our work, and that's what we call immediate needs, and that is serving a meal, uh, visiting a senior citizen, um, doing animal care, something that is important, certainly, um, but is not considered to have a long-term impact. It's often seen as, a, as I will say, an immediate need and the first step in a, in a continuum of services that someone needs. And then our 60% of our work um, is education, starting in elementary school and going all the way through to adulthood and educating folks to get back in the workforce, develop English language skills, GED prep, etc. So. The what's interesting is the to me is that the the more impactful the work, the longer term the impact, the harder it is to recruit volunteers to do it. And in one regard, that makes sense, right? Um, if I'm going to go serve a meal, uh, I can feel good about that. I can do it once. I can go in. You know, we serve breakfast. We clean up. It's done. Gary, I feel and good just sort of... thinking about that impact. I'm like, I <laughs> don't even need to go. I just <laughs> Well, wait a minute. I don't want to. I don't want to make <laughs> you feel that good. I want you to go. Uh, but then on the education front, you know, as we know in our own education, if uh, if you if you have children or if you've ever done tutoring, you know that you know light bulbs don't go on every ten minutes as as we're working, and so our the the profound impact that education can have is is to me immeasurable compared to other program areas, but it's much harder to drive that. So from a business perspective. We put a lot more resource into educational programming than we need to put into the other program areas because recruitment's harder, um, retention is harder, program development's harder, and relationships with our partners are harder. Uh, or more to manage, not difficult, but there's more management involved. So. Um, 
I would say to f- folks, you know, and we often have said to volunteers, if you, um, if you really want to make sure somebody does not come back to the soup kitchen, then you should work on adult education programming. Uh, because by get, helping somebody get their GED, by helping somebody get into the workforce, you're ensuring that they won't need to come back to the soup kitchen again. Yeah, the up-the-river thinking uh, definitely applies. Yeah. Can you tell me a little bit about uh, perhaps a, a campaign or project that you've been working on uh, at New York Cares? Sure. Uh, this is interesting. I, I, I thought back in time a little bit because I thought one of our um, one of the campaigns or, you know, it was a research project we were doing, um, built up many of the metrics that we now, if you will, we take for granted and that we keep our eyes on every day. But when we were first trying to really w- look at that problem of how many volunteers activate, um, you know, from a business perspective, we were facing sort of a huge drain, which is over half the people who came to orientation did not go on and do anything. And so a huge amount of resources going into that. And so um, I think the thing that we did that I was, you know, hindsight and most pleased that we did is we developed um, a measurement system called the Leadership Ladder. And the Leadership Ladder um, forced us, and it took a lot of work, to, um, to develop six levels of engagement with the organization that were based on one of three things, or these three metrics together, which is how much you do, how long you've been with us, and then how much leadership you take in the organization. And there are concrete leadership roles that people can step up into here. So that one was very measurable. And when we looked at those three factors, we found six levels of engagement. Uh, And then the question really became of how do do we push someone up that ladder? Um, The work uh, you know, it was, I think, transformative for the organization in a few ways. It gave us something to watch other than, you know, uh, how many bodies went out this year, right? Because you can feel good about filling 195,000 volunteer positions, nothing to be ashamed of there. But is it good? Is it going in the direction we want? And are we fully engaging people? If those 195,000 people last year are the same, are a different 195,000 people this year, are we still a success? And we decided no, that that some of this is about retention. The work gets better the more people do it. So I think that that work has been driving um, us for a very long time. The uh, you know the from a sort of a campaign and visibility perspective. Um, one thing that's been very interesting is uh, for for those who might know New York Cares, we have a very well-known coat drive um, that happens every holiday time here in the city, and it's it's very successful. Two thirds of New Yorkers recognize the image. Uh, it's it's sort of a, a a holiday tradition, which is is you know it's. Uh, it, it's it's amazing um, that that an organization of our size would have something that's so well known citywide. Um, as we think about that, you know, when we think of a you know sort of cool campaigns that we have going on, um, one of the things because of the coat drive that we're always working to do is increase people's awareness of volunteer engagement. Um, and we just released a, a, a campaign uh, that uh, I'm very 
very proud of. I think everybody here just did some really amazing work, and we relied on pro bono resources. And um, it, the, the concept of it is that we always look and, um, you know, when, especially here in the city, we're walking around and we say, you know, when is somebody going to help the homeless? When is someone going to do something about, you know, this park? When is someone going to help that child learn to read? And so the campaign is called Be the Someone. Uh, and it's, a, it's been getting a wonderful response and um, it's a great call to action and uh, has been working. Uh, we're so pleased with it. I think we're going to be developing it into a, you know, a campaign, further the campaign throughout the whole year. Uh, right now it's uh, alive on social media where we're very active. It's alive on our website. Uh, and it's going to be driving a, a lot of our um, event images this year. Mm -hmm. So very proud of that. That's great. I mean, lots to unpack there. I mean, the co-drive, but also I was more fascinated by the fact that you looked at um, an abandonment rate in your funnel, right, where you have somebody yeah. indicate yeah. that they're like, hey, I'm interested in volunteering. And like, I guess to the lay person, you're like, great job done. Let's just send you off. But you realize once they had already, even after they invested in the training that you put on, you had a 50% abandonment rate. Were you able to move that number at all with, uh, with any of your work? Yeah, and that, that was the exciting part of the leadership ladder work, by really understanding what happens once somebody walks in the door. And, and you know, we did the focus group surveys and really tried to figure out, you know, who, who are the – why are folks abandoning? And, you know, one of the things we found out, which is so interesting, and now, you know, I think we translate this into our, you know, uh, eight years later into – how this also impacts the web experience. But, you know, we, we found out some basic things, like people had come to our orientation thinking they were going to sign up, and then we didn't actually have a sign-up at the event. We told them how to and then sent them home to do it. Um, people were overwhelmed by choice, and that is one thing that uh, plagues us at all times, whether it's a web platform or a paper calendar, which is what we used to send out when I first got to New York Cares. And and so first, by understanding the reasons for abandonment, we were able to redesign orientation um, to better handle that. The other, you know, such an interesting customer service thing is, you know, by and large, the biggest comment was, I was it was not clear to me what should I should do next, right? And so just making the obvious statement of we want you to go home. We want you to sign up, or there's a computer here, stay, I can answer questions, whatever it may be. Um, but a series of, of, um, of different tactics like that, as well as more training for the people who were leading orientation in person on how to deliver that, bump those activation rates now sit between 65 and 70%. And when you're orienting 17,000 people, that's huge. Uh, that's another, a big move. Yeah. yeah, that's a big move. Yeah. And by the way, one of the other metrics we keep our eye on is annually we look at the number of projects a volunteer does annually. And that number has gone from 4.2 up to about 6.2 this year. So if you look at, you know, 10,000 people who all do two more projects a year, because we've also increased the amount they do, we're filling another 20,000 volunteer positions in the city 
just with those 10,000 people, and that number's actually much higher. So. Yeah, and you're inculcating, it seems like uh, one of your primary impacts, inculcating a culture or habit of volunteerism as opposed to a group of one and done, like I'm just going to volunteer for Thanksgiving and then I'm done for the year. Yeah. I would say also, by the way, one of the other things that we're watching is, you know, the, the leadership ladder, I think because of where we were in terms of our ability to analyze what was happening through our website and how much of the lead up to orientation happened through email and web experiences, both have increased. We're now backing up even further because, and I know we did some of uh, this work together, is really understanding, you know, when somebody hits our website, um, it is fascinating um, and concerning to see the drop-off from the number of people who go on and create an account to who then actually show up to orientation. And I believe I'm not going to be able to rattle the number off, but I feel like we have almost a 50% drop-off uh, between the people who come to the site and then actually go through what is a rigorous process of filling out volunteer information, then they have to sign up for the orientation date, then of course they have to show up. So I think one of our big questions here is first, can we change that experience so that more people uh, go from creating account to actually coming to orientation? Because in addition to the 17,000 people who show up, there are another four, five, six thousand who went partway through the experience and then never came. And then after you go through all that effort and actually show up at an orientation, the fact that 30% of them might not do anything after that is then, frankly, mind-boggling to me after the amount of effort they've gone through. <laughs> uh, you know what I mean? Like, it's like, I, do you understand how hard you work to be here? It would be insane not to continue. <laughs> exactly. I'm like, you have you have worked harder to get to this room, uh, you know, than 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 we make getting to the project. So. We're first trying to make it less difficult to get to the room, but also, you know, that 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 old question. It's a customer service, um, you know, sort of mon mantra. You know, for us is the, you know, what what is the next thing you need to do to work with New York Cares, right? And as a multi-service platform, we can be a little guilty here of. Uh, throwing out the menu of 30 things you could do instead of telling you the one thing we want you to do next. Yeah, paradox of choice completely. Exactly. And so uh, how many of those people are we losing on the way to orientation because they're a little confused about what's next, they forget they created an account, whatever. And so we're really trying to back up and, and take care of that, um, mm -hmm. that element of this. Yeah, so you kind of started mentioning it uh, about, you know, the website and some of the things that you're looking at there. What role would you say technology plays in the way you deliver services? Uh, yeah, it, this is such an interesting question. I think it's got a lot to do the role of technology, it's so funny, it's so integrated into into how we think of program delivery and how we think of bringing people in here that that sometimes it's hard for me to you know articulate it as a distinct role. Um, but you know I, I would tell anybody outside the organization that almost one hundred percent of our interactions with volunteers before they either come to an orientation or are volunteering on a project are 
are web-based, right? They're all going through our website, finding orientations, and then once they're oriented, they're searching for their experience um, online. So we need to um, – we need our web experience to be as close in uh, quality, efficiency, um, and tone, if you will, uh, to be as much like um, what the hands-on experience with New York Cares will be as we can. And I think that's where, you know, I, I think that's one of our our ongoing challenges. I think we're actually doing a pretty good job at that now. Um, and that has been evolving over the last few years. Um, I would say, you know, the other, just from a practical, you know, manager standpoint, technology is at the table for almost everything we do, right? Because everything we do is going to uh, come through, um, you know, first, you know, just from a, a visual channel, you know, it's going to come through multiple channels of web, social media, etc. Because our the business side of what we do is driven by, you know, we use Salesforce, and um, you know, our programs are recorded there. All our volunteer records are there, uh, and soon all of our fundraising data will be there. Is that programmatic decisions have front end and back end implications? everything we do. So understanding that, um, thinking of technology uh, as, as, as really be, being, you know, a foundation of what we do uh, is, you know, is, yeah, it is, seems is like a you long really, answer. You really do bake it into the pie, a key thing there. You know, you bring it to the table on uh, different considerations. Uh, I have a, a term like around like tech dragons, right? The things that you have to go out there and slay. <laughs> are there are there any tech dragons that you can sort of share with us that you've either slayed or are in the process of, of battling bravely? Well, I think one of them, and, I, and I, I'm not sure we're unusual in this, but I think you know, um, you know, five even five years ago, you know, uh, organizations, generally speaking, especially nonprofits, you know, would drop everything every three or four years. Um, come up with more money than we knew what to do, you know, than, than we could ever get our hands on, and did these sort of web overhauls, you know, soup to nuts. And I think the the dragon, you know, that we continue to, to sort of daily wrestle with here is how do we make uh, – it, it's, it's having technology at the table every time and recognizing – that it is a fundamental element to how we not only present ourselves but deliver our services and therefore how do we make sure that it's part of ongoing operations and you know that that of course there will be times when you want to do a new look a new feel etc but how is it that we make sure that uh, what we're doing is evolving in in the same way that the world is evolving the dragon to slay is that we're not resourced like the for-profit world, right? So um, how nimble can we be on a, in technology platforms compared to, you know, companies that are, that, you know, have twice as many people and twice as much money to throw at some of these things? So 
I think that's something we're always trying to balance. Um, and I'd say that's, that's, you know, from an operational sort of managerial perspective, I'd say that's the, um, that's the big dragon I think yeah, we fight well, it's with. It's quite a dragon, a Game of Thrones size dragon, I'd say. Exactly. So give me uh, an idea at a, a larger picture. Now I know that, you know, you're a, you're a professor at Columbia, you wear many yeah. hats and have definitely thoughts on the sector. Can you give us some advice uh, as to to what you think other nonprofits tackling digital impact um, should be doing or could be doing better out there. You know, it's it's funny. I always I sound a little. This could get a little professorial, but um, you know, I, I I think one of the things that we do in most sectors is you know all of a sudden I remember the era where where it was like oh my God every organization has a Facebook page we have to have a fight Facebook page and <laughs> everybody runs and creates a Facebook page and then ninety percent of them just sit there with no content because it's really not part of the business it's really either one of two things happen you either did something to follow the pack and somebody, a funder, a board member, somebody said, why aren't we on Facebook? And you just, you know, so you ran and made a Facebook page. The the other side of it is I think um, I would call it a lack of strategy um, or 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 the, t- the time to stop and say what role, the question you asked me, what role does technology play? what 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 is our how what would drive our business right and if twitter's not going to drive your business then it's a bad allocation of resource to have somebody sitting on the twitter account all day right or or spending any time on it so i i think deciding the role technology plays um and and how it really drives your business and then stopping to resource it accordingly. And you and I have talked a lot about this, you know, and nobody wants to pay you for the technology work that everybody acknowledges needs to happen. And I, I think, you know, when I flip flip over and think about, you know, the funding community or how we think about overhead in a nonprofit, you know, uh, organiz- our donors, um, our constituents all expect at least New York Cares to have a very dynamic web presence, um, and then to under-resource that um, is endangers the business. And I, I think that's something I struggle with personally. Um, you know, because as you know, in nonprofit, it's like every time you add a a person on the you know in the quote-unquote oh, back yeah. office, you're not hiring a program manager who's actually going to create you know, another 10,000 volunteer spots in the community. So how do we balance that, um, make sure it's resourced enough, and that the other side isn't, um, you know, it, it doesn't become the tail wagging the dog, and we, we're, um, you know, we're, we're, we're sort of resourced on the technology side to keep up with the Joneses when, it, when it, it may not really be what we need to do for the business. Yeah, so the advice and... And uh, in some here is, you know, making sure that technology aligns with what the core mission of the business is and making sure that what you're building actually relates to that. Absolutely. I would love it if you followed me all day and summarized <laughs> my long-winded <laughs> phrases into one sentence. I was like, why didn't I just say that? Oh, yeah. What did he say? All right. Final <laughs> uh, question here. 
Gary, what is something you think you or your organization should stop doing? We are always deluged with longer and longer to-do lists, but what is something you think either you and or your organization should stop doing? Wow. I, you know, you had sent me that question and I thought a lot about it and I, I, I became sort of less tactical and I, I, you know, in my way, um, it was less about a thing we should stop doing, but, a, 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 um, in, in terms of a function. But I, I think one of the things that happens in the civic engagement world is we can adopt an apologetic tone. Like, we know you're busy, but if you can help, blah, 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 blah. And, and that, that sort of, we don't want to interfere with your busy lives. Um, and I think a lot of nonprofits have that, you know. Um, but it's, I feel it at New York Cares. And one question that always comes to mind for me is, you know, how much sort of inefficiency here, how many things are we doing because we're not more direct, in our requests, our demands, and our advocacy to people. So um, I, I bet if we look around, I wonder sort of on the customer service side, um, if, if, if we're doing some things we don't need to do um, because of that tone. I know that's a little, uh, that's not a Peter Drucker no, answer. No, I think that's but. a wonderful answer. That is a, you know what, a right here, right now, I think, most of the people listening, I myself, I'm like, oh my gosh, like that should be like tattooed on the side of at least a bathroom stall in every nonprofit, just to remind people, don't apologize. You have to go to the bathroom. Don't apologize. You're doing great work. You're doing great work. Gary, thank you so much. Uh, as a final sign-off, how do people find you? How do people help you? Uh, if anyone can visit uh, our website, which is newyorkcares.org, all spelled out. Um, you can do everything there from learn more about our work in general to sign up to volunteer uh, in the coming week. Um, you know, we, we uh, people drive our work by their gifts of time, um, their gifts of stuff like coats at the holiday time and gifts, of course, of money that keeps sort of the gas in the car as we're driving around here. So. Um, you know, any way that I, I think one of the things I also love about the organization that I would say in closing is there there are so many ways to engage with us and, and I hope that people will begin their journey and figure out um, if this is an organization they can engage with and then take advantage of it in whatever way they're able. Well, I'd be surprised if anyone, after looking at how methodical you all are about using metrics and, and tracking outcomes, uh, would even second-guess giving money to you. Thanks for joining us, and thanks for sharing your wisdom here. Thank you. Have a great day, George. We covered a lot of ground here, and I want to pull out a couple points. One, think about the way that New York Cares really uses online interaction to produce offline impact. And they look at those data, and they're able to do things like conversion funnels and tell where there's drop-off. And then they focus efforts to improve that so they can get more New Yorkers volunteering more effectively. The second point is the more effectively part. You know, they're offering training to volunteers, but they're also nudging just slightly people toward the types of volunteer opportunities that they know are going to do higher levels of good for the city of New York. And you heard him say, 
all volunteer opportunities are not created equally. And I think this is an important note for every organization doing on the ground work or providing any manner of programming services. And so my question to you is, if you had just one hour to spend working on your organization's primary impact for stakeholders, how would you spend that hour? What data do you need in order to answer that question? We'll leave it there. And as always, we have resources at wholewhale.com slash podcast. And we'll leave, we'll leave some links for our impact resources and some other topics that came up here. And you can find this on lucky episode number 38. Thanks for joining us. This has been Using the Whole Whale. For more resources on today's show, please visit wholewhale.com slash podcast. And consider following us on Twitter at Whole Whale. And thanks for joining us. Today's theme music by the very talented Greg Thomas, and our interlude music coming from a band out of the UK called The Mesmerists. Hope you enjoyed it.